The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not that of the GUI Media Network or associated brands and sponsors. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity, because clothing is a prison and society will not cage me. In a world with too many reboots and remakes, two men will stop it on nothing to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another amazing episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite, and let's face it, poorly created <laughs> properties from the past. And that is definitely the case for this one. That's been the inspiration for the show in the first place, was movies like this one that we're going to talk about today, where the idea is good, it's an interesting concept, but the execution Leaves a lot to to be appreciated. Yeah, and then they decide to cast Emilio Estevez, yes, and it ruins the whole project. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what? Not all the time. Repo Man was a perfectly good movie. Perfectly good and weird movie. But besides that, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Repo Man's fun. Um, Or Repo Man. Is it Repo? It's Repo Man, right? Repo Man. Repo Man was a movie with Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker years later that was weirdly close to the storyline of Repo the Genetic Opera. What was the one where he and his brother were garbage men together? Men at work. Ah. Where they found a, mo- a body the mob had dumped or something, I yeah, think. The mob was, the... was always involved in movies of the era, both literally and on screen. Just the mob was fun at that point. Well, that was when the mob was like get going on Dateline and stuff to be like, yes, I do kill people. <laughs> like they were super about being publicly mobsters. Yeah, like That's fu- fun time. Yeah, right. <laughs> But this movie, this is of that similar era. This is, I think, 91 or 92 when this movie was made. Yeah, 92, and I think. Or no, 91. 92, yeah. 91, yeah. I think it was made in 91, released in 92 or whereabouts. And it definitely reeks of that early 90s sci-fi. There was not a lot coming out at that time. That Oh, by the way, my co-host, Tandy, is here. Hey, it's Tandy, and I'm here, hey. and we've been talking. Woo. So does it matter? Yep. Who knows? Who knows? We'll find out. Hopefully you already know who is running this this thing. So yeah, you've got 1991, 92. You've got only a few sci-fi movies that you even remember from that era. You've got, and this like Demolition Man and Hackers. And what else do we got? Like so sci-fi maybe is around The Abyss? Stuff? When did that come? That was late 80s, I want to say. So that was still not of this era. This was kind of a, a lull in sci-fi around the time that Free Jack came out. There wasn't a whole lot happening. Uh, a few years later, Independence Day. What else stands in the Independence 90s? Day was that was nineteen ninety nine, I believe. No, Independence Day was like ninety five or ninety six. I think it's ninety six. Was it? Yep. You might be. I think you are right, actually. Yeah, I am. Ninety six. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's the, yeah. That would be where the upswing started happening. I think was post Independence Day. But movies like this, the Independence Day was a more than sci fi, a big budget action comedy extravaganza type of a movie, mm-hmm. whereas this was. Not meant to be that. We're talking about Free Jack. Listeners may not even be familiar with this film. If you are interested in checking it out, it was available on basically all the free apps. Uh, I watched it, it on, on Tubi. Tu- which one? Tubi. 
Tubi. Yeah, it was Tubi, Pluto TV, Freevee. I think even Roku channel it was on. So you shouldn't have too much trouble tracking this down. And it's kind of a shame that this movie doesn't get brought up more in the conversation of inspiration for other films. Like, I feel like this is a predecessor to movies like Strange Days, which is also an underappreciated sci-fi mm -hmm. movie, or Johnny Mnemonic. This is definitely like a pre-Johnny Mnemonic movie. This is in the path that leads you to Johnny Mnemonic. Well, leading to the These, ultimate like, extension of the idea, which is The Matrix. It's like a Pokemon exactly. evolution, and like the God version <laughs> is The Matrix. This is... William Gibson Light. This isn't actually based on a William Gibson story. I forget the name of the writer that this was based off of. I think a short story, but it has very much that William Gibson energy. Mm -hmm. Whereas Johnny Mnemonic, I think, is actually an adaptation from William Gibson, but it, it's that dystopian cyberpunk future kind of vibe. But the set dressing is way more Streets of Fire than it is uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, for the Wiz. It's got an interesting look for the <laughs> kind of sci fi that it's doing. Also, the time jump is fucking wild in this movie. This <laughs> it's like is supposed to take years. place. It's like 18 years, and it goes from 91, looking like 1991 with race cars and shit, to the world has fallen into the sewer, and there's bone snatchers and time travel and tanks going through the street and utter fucking chaos. And Rene Russo is apparently a vampire that just doesn't age. <laughs> that was hilarious. That was hilarious to me. I was like, they didn't even try. They didn't put like a gray streak or anything. I thought that would have honestly made a more interesting conversation if Renee Russo looked like she had aged 18 years and Emilio Estevez hadn't. And how much does that affect their relationship? Because it's not just about looks, but it's also she's had 18 years of real hard living with the world basically falling apart. Even though she's doing really well, she's had to probably ignore her morals a lot to get to where she was. She's had to beg, borrow, and steal to survive, and she's working for basically an evil, omnipresent corporation. How does that translate to Emilio Estevez? It's been a day for him. Yeah, and but 18 and years was, of just general experiences and wisdom and, and maybe a bunch of other stuff, maybe trauma, all kinds of stuff, different loves. How does that translate? I mean, that's Ultimately, for that kind of movie, that's not a super important question because that bogs down the action or whatever. But yeah, it's a relevant question of how these people who are now or should be completely different people because of their specific experiences. The world fell apart. How does that make them different human beings? And Rene Russo apparently is the most strong-willed human being to ever exist on the planet. Has not changed a fucking iota is the same exact person from 1991 in the future of 2009 uh, this takes place. Yeah, at the very least, she willed the wrinkles away, so. That's some serious <laughs> fucking power right there. But I think the bones of this movie are good. It's the idea that, that Emilio Estevez is a race car driver who gets snatched right before he's in this fantastic and completely unrealistic wreck. Uh, that happens. <laughs> His race car goes like off a ramp and then crashes into a bridge like in midair, it's buck fucking wild. Like they chose the least realistic way to send him out. In this Somehow, movie. It, but it's fine that there's nothing is odd that there's absolutely no body, no bones, anything. And they're like, eh, sh this shit happens, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess he was vaporized or whatever. Yeah, I love that Brad Carter, the his best friend basically in this movie, played by New York Dolls David Johansson. Buster Poindexter. Buster Poindexter in this movie with the largest mouth in film, I think. He's massive fucking mouth, which makes his laughter like both really unsettling and hilarious whenever he cracks up. But he is bitching to... Alex Furlong about how he couldn't get the insurance money because they couldn't find the body, which was fucking fantastic to me. He's like, oh, it's great you're alive. Anyway. I kind of wish he was in more of the movie. Seriously, he was such a fun, like, he broke up some of the unnecessary seriousness of this movie. It, this movie should have been more fun than it was. This, the set dressing, you shouldn't be trying to play this straight at all. And Amelia was trying, but he just, he's not that strong an actor. He just isn't. Well, he's not that strong a presence either. I think that's the bigger mm -hmm. thing for this kind of movie. But he's a little dude, but he's also got, his energy is not big enough. I don't know if he, if you turn this into more of a, a fun movie and had Michael J. Fox as the little dude lead, then that would be a good time. But Emilio Estevez doesn't really carry this very well. And his energy is weird. And the way that people interact with him as little kind of mousy Emilio Estevez is also just off. Like it feels off. It is like nobody takes him seriously. He's supposed to be this like action lead in this movie. And no, even the side characters are just don't give a fuck about him. Like he is nothing to anybody, which is an interesting kind of way to go about a movie like this. I like red heat. Think that the bones of this are good, but there is so much room to expand on this or add more depth or undertone or more story to this. I mean, there's not a lot to this. You're able to, I'm assuming you guessed who the big bad at the end was at the beginning of the movie. That's the experience of movie narrative. That's They don't hide it very well or sell it very well. It's just a thing and you don't even care about it. For most of the movie, it's like, whatever. Yeah, when it's finally revealed, it's like, oh, it's your, it's been your boss all along. She's like, no, it's not. The crowd is like, no, it, it is. <laughs> this isn't hard to believe. Like, this is, it was pretty clearly him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and the cast on this, her boss being played by one Anthony Hopkins in this movie. He had already done Hannibal Lecter. That movie, had Silence of the Lambs, had already come out. But I think that he might have filmed this before his career blew up immediately after that. So he still had a stinker to to do or to show in there because of it. sure sure he is an unbelievable like one of the greatest actors of our time but he also will do a stinker or two from time to time i mean he's in a transformers movie so <laughs> if that says I think anything. the man has houses and cars to pay for too so yeah true <laughs> so mine is set in the past 1991 is 2003 not doing like a 1991 version of this uh -huh. are you sticking around the same timeline are you I am, keeping I'm it in the same genre 2023 2023 okay so you're jumping from 2023 into the distant future no. of like 18 no years i'm or not we'll get into it in the take but no i'm not so well let's get into it i mean there's not a lot more to say about this film it's the director yeah. jeff murphy interesting mm -hmm. career under siege 2 young guns 2 and most interestingly to me Dude was a second unit director on all of the Lord of the Rings movies. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So he's had a career of not obscurity, not complete obscurity, but I think most everything I saw that was involving him that was listed was pretty mediocre, except being a second unit director on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
Do you think that while he was shooting Lord of the Rings as second unit, that he was like bragging about his time working on directing Mick Jagger and Free Jack? <laughs> like back when I was directing Jagger back on Free Jack set. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, and then he follows it with the Steven Seagal story. So Seagal and I are tossing back some yeah. beers. Ian McKellen's like, I fucked Mick Jagger in 1996. <laughs> oh, let's go listen to Sir Ian's story. That's a much better story. <laughs> Me and Bowie <laughs> had him tied up like a pair of Chinese finger cuffs. We were a chain of pasty tall men, and it was the most beautiful thing that you had ever seen. It was like the human centipede, but with cum. <laughs> Man, is that appropriate for this show? I think it is, because I think I've gone there before, but I haven't heard you go there before. <laughs> hey, you know what? Like, this is marked as explicit, so I think we're okay. Good I times. Think. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's lay it down. We got formerly by the second unit director of Lord of the Rings bringing down the original. What are we doing for your real take on this? So for my real take, I'm going with a tried and true modern genre, which is action, not really action comedy, but fun action. Sure. Um, action romp. Yeah, an action romp. Kinda, Something okay. with some high energy, maybe a little bit of cynicism, or probably a lot of cynicism, but more in keeping with what is popular in the modern time, because this is a 2023 movie that takes place in 2023. Sure. So, in my movie, I got rid of the time travel altogether. I was like, this doesn't work the way it's presented. I don't really like how that works, but what does work to take its place that's all over modern culture is multiverse stuff. So he is bone jacked across the multiverse to a, another 2023 Earth that's similar enough that you're like, oh, it is 2023, I guess, but different enough where it's a completely different place almost immediately upon. Maybe some like more totalitarian, like little pepperings yes. in there. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha. same race car accident, race car crashes, blows up. He's bone jacked to this other reality and escapes in much the same way but in going around and looking at things he's like wow there's so much that's the same but different this is not where i'm supposed to be he runs into a nun who tells him that he's a free jack and lets him know basically the scenario she does a little exposition dump for him i wanted to introduce that nun as a bigger part of this property of this movie so that she's actually directly involved in a lot of, of the movement of the narrative. So I'm going to introduce that nun as a person, as an actor right now, which is Kat Dennings is my nun in this movie. Nice. Yeah. And so she is the one who is the main secondary character, the Robin to the characters, Batman, as they move through the, uh, the narrative, he does run into his, uh, his girlfriend in this reality she comes off, she's sold to him as a friend, as are other people that he knows from his own reality are kind of sold to him as friends. They try to bring him in, but it's all part of a scheme to bring him back into the clutches of the person who brought him to this reality in the first place. And that person exists as a like head on a screen, and you see him throughout the movie, much as Sir Anthony Hopkins was a head on a screen as we go through the movie, but the outcome with that character is a little bit different. So... They get adventures trying to escape the powers that be. He's introduced ultimately to Morgan, who was the character that was played by, I think his name is John Shea. John Shea was Lex Luthor on Lois and Clark. So that's how I know that actor like oh, immediately okay. when I see him. Oh, it's Lex Luthor from Lois and Clark. And John Shea's like the rebellion leader or whatever. Or Morgan is the rebellion leader. So they hook up with Morgan and the nun and the Morgan help him escape. 
Uh, we reach the same climax where everybody comes together and they try to do the consciousness transfer. The big bad is revealed. It turns out that the uh, the image of Ian McCandless was not who the character actually was. The real super powerful multi-billionaire that's driving this whole scheme is Alex Furlong himself, the lead himself. It's his alternate reality version that is dying and needs his body from an alternate reality. Nice. Nice. I like that. In the uh, the process of coming together and doing the climax, he dies and Julie, the girlfriend, dies as well. But it plays out where they think that he's done the mind transfer. And of course, Victor Vasandak, who was the character that was played by Mick Jagger, uh, helps him with his subterfuge. And because Julie dies and we want kind of a classic turn at the end, the nun, Kat Dennings, who's been helping him through the whole project, what he finds out after becoming a multi-billionaire and ruling the world and going on to a new adventure, uh, is that in a casual conversation with Victor, he finds out that nuns in this world don't take a vow of chastity, and they do the furtive look and the like, the wink, a freeze take at the end. No, no action, <laughs> just a thing that says, yeah, he's going to be fine in this world because he's going to have sex with Cat Denning, basically. The end of movie. So that's my version of Free Jack, starring as Alex Furlong. I have Joe Keery. I feel like okay, Joe Keery has the right energy. And he's also he's taller. I'm saying this is a short guy, too. I put this out there. <laughs> just it's more believable for the way that people interact with him for what he's supposed to be, that his screen presence is a little bit better in all ways. So Joe Keery is my Alex Furlong. I, I can see just the scene from the original movie where he gets fucking hammered on one drink in the bar and he's talking to the camera uh -huh. people. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Fuck this dude. I can see Joe Keery having so much fun with that like scene. Like a good time. Like it's yeah. something similar to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For my Victor Vicendak, I thought about going with a rock star, but there are no more rock stars. I'm not going to have like Drake play my Victor Vicendak. So Jason Statham is my Victor Vicendak. Jason Statham has... <laughs> the right British guy energy to be this kind of tough guy, this the specific <laughs> kind of tough guy that Victor Vicendak is. A guy that says right yes, yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Crikey, and then, but not much else. <laughs> yeah. He's very quiet otherwise. Occasionally just a low, low guttural growl. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My Julie Redland, the girlfriend character. I wanted somebody who falls into a trope that is not as prevalent in modern times, which is the uh, the strong, handsome woman trope. And I couldn't really think of anybody for a while, but Carrie Mulligan is my strong, handsome woman. Okay. As Julie Redland, who is not a friend, but a foe. And I think that, especially in that aspect, Carrie Mulligan would work really well. Nice. Uh, for Ian McCandless, who's not an actual person in the movie, so Ian McCandless was the Anthony Hopkins ultimate bad guy in the original movie. In this movie, he's just a face, and he's a AI, like a deep fake. He's a deep fake. He's not actually a sure. person. Kevin Bacon is my Ian McCandless. He has the right combination of charm and gravity. I think that, uh, yeah, he could do, without being Anthony Hopkins, he's got his whole different thing going, but with the gravity and the charm. My Mark Michelet, who was, uh, God, what's that actor's name in the original movie? Mark Michelet. Oh, that's uh, Jonathan yes, Banks. Jonathan from Breaking Bad. Bad. Yep. yep. As Mark Michelet, I have Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell can portray the right kind of menace. And he's willing to play all different kinds of characters as he ages, not just the handsome guy. I think he would work out well under these circumstances. He holds the screen. He has the right kind of menace. Yeah, him. For my nun, we already introduced Kat Dennings. For Morgan, the revolutionary leader who was played by Lois and Clark's Lex Luthor, 
I have Smallville's Lex Luthor, Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, I nice. like Michael Rosenbaum. I don't get to see him in many things, but yeah, I just like the idea of having Lex Luthor in there as the same character. I would say he's turned out to be a really nice podcast host. I've really enjoyed some of the interviews that he's done on his show, Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Nice. I've heard clips from his podcast, but I, I have not listened to the show. I'll have to check it out, though, because like I said, I do like Michael Rosenbaum. He has a very, how do you say, calm kind of energy mm -hmm. when he's on the show. There's no rush to him speaking. He is very casual and comfortable on the microphone. And so therefore the guests really do feel like they're comfortable when they're talking. Nice. So I'll have to put that on the list. Great conversation. I think the only celebrity Sweet. cast I listen to is Sarah Silverman. So, uh, Oh, nice. Yeah. It'd be interesting to pick up something new, but, and as my final character that I've casted as Brad, who was the Buster Poindexter character, David Johansson. Buster Rhymes is my Brad. Yes. And the version that I have in my mind, Brad lasts a little bit longer. Buster Rhymes gets to do more stuff. He hasn't acted in years, but he does have acting experience. And he's also very uh, an, an interesting character to see on the screen. I'd be interested to see if there were any measurements of like mouth size between Buster Poindexter <laughs> and, and Buster Rhymes. Because both of them, they both could fit like a softball in their mouth. They both have these massive. That's probably the, one of the reasons that Buster took on that name. So, or Busta took on that name. But uh, for my director, I have Sean Levy, who is the director of Free Guy and mm -hmm. Night at the Museum, Real Steel. That's smart. That's a good yeah. call. I like that. That is able to do kind of bigger action sci-fi stuff, but also can Have play in the comedy it, yeah. range as well. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a really smart choice for a real take here. And alternate universe, I mean, timely. So you're really riding that wave of multiverse that's happening everywhere. Literally the best movie of 2022 for most, for a lot of people was a multiverse movie mm -hmm. with everything everywhere all at once. DC, Marvel, all going multiverse. It's... I'm just waiting for the Sliders revival to come through. <laughs> and oh, I, love I will Brett. keep waiting, probably. Yeah. They redid fucking Quantum Leap, but they can't do Sliders. All right, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I'll wait. That's cool. Yeah, the crying man. Oh, love Rembrandt. So, and yeah, and what's his face from Lord of the Rings and Indiana Jones? Yeah. John Reese Davis. John Reese Davis, yeah. Oh, man, as a professor. Fantastic. But yeah, I think... You've got a really solid idea for Free Jack that, not that it's a high bar, but I'd say that's a little better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Once again, not a high bar. It's not a high bar. Yeah. I think giving some more of these characters some agency is not a bad call. That like most of these characters are just set dressing in the original movie. There's not a whole lot happening for them. So yeah, giving Julie a little bit more to do, giving Brad Carter or Buster Point Dexter's character a little bit more to do. I think is really smart. You know, that's indicative of the time generally. Like everything sure. focused on the leads, everybody else is set dressing. And then in the modern time, you need a team around the star to make interaction more interesting and to actually push narrative over set pieces. So yeah, by and large, the base formula for movies makes for more interesting movies in the modern time. And actually thinking about it around this time, I'm remembering two more movies that they were definitely depending on a uh, cult of personality for these sci-fi movies because two that came out in 90 and 91, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, I believe Total Recall was 1990 and 91 was The Running mm -hmm. Man. And both of those movies would have sucked with like an Emilio Estevez level like actor in the role. You needed a bigger than life person yeah, to carry such a ridiculous... They yeah. have an interesting There's... concept and then loads of set pieces. They're, they're, yeah. they're, like video, then... they're structured like video games. They don't have relationships or real complexity like yep. that. So yeah, I think, yeah, Emilio 
was definitely not the best choice for this, but is definitely not the only reason why Free Jack didn't work. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment with some remake remixes, but first, let's talk about T Public. You know it, you love it. It is the one-stop shop for all of your Geeks Under the Influence Network podcast designs. From Smack My Pitch Up to the Geeks Under the Influence, there are over 50 designs available at our store. Just go to guipodcast.com slash store, and that'll take you to our Tee Public shop where you can get designs on t-shirts, hoodies, baby onesies, magnets, stickers, and a whole lot more. That's Tee Public's Geeks Under the Influence store at guipodcast.com slash store. You'll love it. I decided to go the opposite direction of you with my remix version. Remix! You went with the like action romp role of it because there isn't a lot to do with the plot from the original. It it can be dressed up as just like a fun action romp and still have more depth to it than the original did. I went the other way where I looked for almost entirely just depth Mm. in this empty husk of a movie <laughs> plot. So I decided that this is going to be a conversation about what it is to be, to exist about the conversation of personhood and analog versus digital, which is something that we're talking about in media nowadays and also our presence on the internet versus who we are in real life. And it's a conversation that's happened in the matrix and a number of other films. But with this, with time travel being the element and transferring a person's like consciousness It's not going to be that the physical body was transferred to the future so much as basically almost like a transporter. They built the body in the future and transferred the consciousness into it. But they needed the consciousness basically to like jumpstart the body. Like they couldn't just build the body and then have the the in mechanics character jump into it. It needed to be kind of jumpstarted by the original consciousness Mm -hmm. first, which whatever. It's all pseudoscience. (laughs) Who fucking cares if that's like a real thing or not? So. That, I think, gives it a little bit more believability, I think, is the idea of just taking almost like the DNA from the past to build a, to like transfer a consciousness into the future kind of thing. It's also in Um, keeping with giving it more weight. Already starts off with a very intriguing philosophical question. And then also that how did that transfer go? The Alex Furlong character throughout this is having trouble bring things, having trouble like knowing what is real and what is suggested by the people like that he runs into, like his old friend Brad Carter. He can't really remember how if their relationship was like strained or not in the past. There's parts of his memory he can remember and there's stuff that's coming back, but he doesn't know how much is coming back or if it ever will. And so he's trying to put this together as the plot is like unfolding and he's not entirely sure if this is real or some kind of fantasy made up in his brain as he's dying. He's been completely removed from anything that he is familiar to him. So everything is up for question. And you also get like a real, really strong ship of Theseus discussion under those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Like, is it the same person at the end of the day? I thought that was beautifully done in the, in the modern version of that in John dies at the end, Mm -hmm. where it was about a hammer that you, you'd, replace the head of the hammer and the actual like handle of the hammer. Is it the same hammer that you bought? It's the same ship of this thing, but do that with the human body. Yeah. When you reconstruct the consciousness to a degree, is it the same consciousness? If it's a different body at the same time, the plot is the same. You've got the Ian McCandless character or this, this like presence that is the puppeteer of this whole thing. And then you've got Alex Furlong's estranged girlfriend originally played by Renee Russo. I really wanted to have the age conversation more in this version. So for 
Alex Furlong, I casted Aronofsky as my director. Oh, nice. First off. Yeah. And he, his whole thing is about obsession and addiction and also being the orphans of a nihilistic God is a common theme in his stuff. Yeah, so like movies that say, man, did I like that? Yeah. I like that. Did I, did I like that? <laughs> and because it's so artistic that you're like, f feel obligation <laughs> to like it. If I'm going to be a movie guy, I have to like it, which is the feelings I had walking out of the whale, which I hated. <laughs> and I know I saying that I might get shit on for it, but I don't care. Like, I think the performances were incredible. Um, I think that Brendan Fraser deserves all of the accolades that he's getting. I think the movie was exploitative and kind of shitty and didn't serve any purpose really, in my opinion. But uh, again, I'm sure there's a, that's a creative not... thesis at the bottom of that would make you be like, all right, I get it. I don't like this movie, but I get it. Yeah. I've had conversations about it since, and I get what maybe was trying to be done, but I think that the ends didn't justify the means for me mm -hmm. anyway, with that movie. But that being said, I am a fan of Aronofsky. Uh, I think that he's done some very challenging and very interesting work. Pie it was an incredible film. Black Swan, Requiem for a Dream, which was great and I'll never watch ever again. <laughs> Same with Mother. The Fountain was an interesting concept. I did concept. not like Mother or The Fountain. I did not like The Fountain. The Fountain, I think, had some very interesting concepts that, it, that he took six years to make that movie. I think it was one of those situations that he had too long to develop the story and it ended up working against him. If he had less time to develop it, it was overworked and came off hollow in its delivery. But the themes of conquering death, I think are going to be echoing in this version of Free Jack. Also, Aronofsky is known for taking actors that are on the end of their popularity and pulling him back into focus again. He did that with The Wrestler, mm -hmm. and then he did that also with The Whale, with, with Brendan Fraser. So for Alex Furlong, Taylor Lautner from Twilight is going to be pulling the, the weight of, of Alex Furlong in this it one. It might be nice to see his return to pop culture. And also, I think he's done a couple things since Twilight. I don't know how good an actor he can be, because I don't think he's ever really been given the chance to stretch uh -uh. those legs fully. So yeah, uh, give martial arts spy guy movie in an airport theater or coming from the airport at a layover. And man, like after watching that, I know why he's not, he dropped out of, <laughs> of usage in Hollywood, but yeah, everybody deserves a chance and it just takes some training, spend your time in acting school yep. and get your muscle up. Yeah. Just, and I mean, he can do the action stuff and he can come off as like a hothead, young, like race car driver type oh, character. Definitely. I think he, that's not too much of a push for him. And he's like 31 or 32. Yeah. So he's young enough that he can play like a young hothead racer guy. Julie, his girlfriend in the future is going to be played by Laura Dern. I wanted to have an attractive, but definitely older than the main character actress, Laura Dern, as you were saying, like a handsome actress yeah, she was who that, i thought of actually, you know, actually as i was trying to think of somebody who was an, a a handsome actress but she's <laughs> too old for what i was going for but yeah she did come to mind yeah, for what i'm going for i wanted there to be a clear differentiation in age between the two so taylor lautner and laura dern it does seem a little bit mismatched with their ages when you were to say put them together on screen but i want that's what i'm going mm -hmm. for is that time is not just showing on their face but also in their experiences that laura dern has had to get harder as a person has had to go through a lot of shit and like remove the part of herself that probably was mostly what Alex fell in love with in the first place, her softness, her warmness, her, her optimism, 
of the yeah, world. No, it's perfect. So like how much of that is left? And if there's not much of that left, then is he just in love with the idea of the person or still the person? And that goes into the conversation about our consciousness, who we are. Are we like the layers of our skin that every like seven years, it's an entirely new set of skin on our bodies? Like the ship of Theseus, if we are totally a different person than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, is it a ship of Theseus thing with our consciousness? Are we still the same person or are we actually a different person? And so that's the conversation that I'm putting into free Jack <laughs> is like, this evolution of consciousness and Alex is going through it with him being basically scanned into a cloned body. Uh, Julie's going through it through the passage of time. And Ian McCandless, the main character, Anthony Hopkins is actually in what they called, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the spiritual switchboard, but he hasn't been there for three days. He's been there for literally years and it's been hush hush within his corporation and his handler, Mark Michelet has been basically speaking for him he has been a ghost in the machine the mm -hmm. whole time. And so the he has this feeling of omnipotence, a narcissistic god that has removed himself from morality by being part of this machine for so long. But the one thing that he doesn't have is companionship, and he does want that from Julie, who he has had interactions with mm -hmm. virtually. Um, and so that's why he needs the body is just the, the one thing that he can't get from being omnipresent on the net. The digital version of himself is like physical love. And so that's why he goes for Alex Furlong and he, but he needs that consciousness in there briefly. The argument at the end of it is whether or not the, Alex is the same person. If Ian is the same person, if it's a combination of the two, because at the end of free Jack, they have basically a mind mm -hmm. fight which is like the dumbest shit in the world that like, it's so poorly portrayed on screen. There's like screens that are flipping. Like <laughs> the, it's the, the screensaver like the from universe. Windows XP or Windows 95. <laughs> like it's a prison <laughs> thing that Zod is in <laughs> and Phantom Superman Zone. floating through no. the Phantom Zone. And there's fire behind Emilio Estevez. He's like, ah, it's so <laughs> cheesy. I think the part where he has to read off his human code or whatever to Mick Jagger in the original the joke at the end is that Mick Jagger, it was totally wrong. And Mick Jagger just said that it was correct so that he had a change of heart. Fuck that. He got it right because he's now a combination of Alex Furlong and Ian McCandless. But that combination actually gives him the opportunity to better identify with Laura Dern's character. He now has levels of experience over those years from his incorporation of the two people. He has, he's got like the humanity from... Alex Furlong, and he's got the experience and success from Ian McCandless. And so he actually has a chance to be with Laura Dern by being a combination of parts of these two people. Yeah, it functionally leaves him as a new person. Yeah, a new person that she's going to give it a shot and have this ambiguity at the end. Like, is this going to work? I don't know. I don't even know who you don't even know who you are yet, but we'll find out together kind of thing. So Free Jack is all about who we are and if we are different people at different points in our lives or if we're just a evolution. The actors, Taylor Lautner for Alex Furlong, Laura Dern for Julie Redland, Ian McCandless. I wanted the virtual version of this person. It's not going to be like an older character. It's going to be also this world is rife with disease. It doesn't have to be an old man that's dying. It could be somebody that just, you know, mm. all the pestilence in the world. Let's give it a Bradley Cooper. Let's have somebody that is classically super handsome as the villain. You don't have to have an old man that's dying. Yeah, and he's a strong actor. He can do it. He can do... Yeah, I think he can do it. And then Mark Michelet, 
I wanted somebody that has this calmness to them. Uh, Jonathan Banks, in most of what he does, there is no rush to the way he speaks. He feels confident in the scenes. He feels like he knows what's going on more than anybody else in the scene. And I wanted somebody that had that level of gravitas, that there's this energy around them, that they are both calming and also like, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to fuck with them. And a dramatically underrated actor, in my opinion, oh, yeah. is Sterling K. Brown, who he had a very small scene in Black Panther as Mjobu. He was in This Is Us, but also what really sold me on him was his portrayal of the mm -hmm. defendant in Marshall. He was so good in that role and just brought it. And I think it's criminal how under oh, he's a great actor. disgust he is yeah, as far actor. as like dramatic actors. Yeah, he's fantastic. So definitely check out Marshall if you haven't. He's the defendant. I forget the name of the character. Blew me out of the water. Fantastic. Only reason I think there wasn't more conversation is because you've got Chadwick Boseman in there. So kind of a Scotty <laughs> Pippen, Michael Jordan situation going on there. Look, I got a wife um, who looks just like yours. So, yeah. Then we got the rock stars. We got Mick Jagger and Buster Point Dexter. We got two hmm. actors that aren't good actors. One is a little bit better than the other as a, a personality, at least. That's David Johansson from the New York Dolls. Oh, yeah. I'm getting Tom Waits in there. Uh, also a big weirdo that has been acting for years. He'd <laughs> have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, it was Renfield. Yep. Yep. And well, and he's in Mystery Men as well. <laughs> all of the uh, like coffee and cigarettes and uh, Jim Jarmusch and all of those. Then I wanted a, a rock star, quote unquote, that would not be a good actor. I don't know if I've ever seen them in a movie. I cannot imagine they're good at acting. They don't need to be. They're just the hot rock star character. Oh, yeah. Adam Levine. Yeah. As Victor <laughs> Vanstack. Just stand there with covered in tattoos looking like a weird like bone jacker thug from the future with all of his like tattoos that he got in like a three year period. I'm not threatened by you, Adam Levine, Vicendek. I... I can't. I can't even take you seriously. That's exactly why I chose him, because there's nothing threatening about Mick Jagger in his role either. He's just a weird placeholder character. And I said, let's just keep going with that. Let's just carry that energy over with Adam Levine. So, yeah, I think that's it. So the whole point of this Free Jack version is to discuss the nature of personhood. What makes you a person? Yeah. And that's your gift with these pitches, to add meat to the bone. Absolutely. Speaking of meat to the bone, the real meat of this show is the trailers. <laughs> yeah, uh, the trailers. The trailers. <laughs> the, um, my pitch enough to actually do a trailer out of it. Oh, Woo! God. Yeah, that's the hard part of going first <laughs> is trying to remember everything. So let me get that queued up. The year is 2023, and Stranger Things' Joe Keery is Alex Furlong, a race car driver who's about to die and go to 2023? Free Jack, a movie that finds Joe Keery in a situation that is his own, but very much not his own. Starring as his alternate universe girlfriend, Carrie Mulligan, as the nun who helps him along his way, Kat Dennings, and also starring Michael Rosenbaum, Buster Rhymes, Kevin Bacon, Colin Farrell, and Jason Statham. From director Sean Levy, take yourself to an alternate version of your life and make it better. Reject. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that was a good choice. The intro music for that one, uh, I think, fit relatively well. Nice. Nice. All right. Now on to my fucking, I have no idea how I'm going to do this Aronofsky version. So we're going to find out together. It's always the best 
not plan ahead. Just go for it. Yeah, straight from the dome is not my favorite way to do it, but uh, yep, I did here it. we go. And you can <laughs> hey, too. Cool. Let's light this third candle. Here we go. <laughs> Who are you? Who am I? What is it to be alive? This fall, Alex Farlong finds out as he's transported to the future of 2041. Alex Furlong, a race car driver with a loving fiance, Julie, dies in a horrifying car wreck, or does he? His consciousness transferred to the future and put into a cloned version of his own body, only to be chased through the dirty dystopian streets by a menacing presence. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Lautner is Alex Furlong. Julie Redland, played by Laura Dern, fights against Bradley Cooper and Sterling K. Brown as Darren Aronofsky asks the question, what is it to be alive? Also featuring Tom Waits, Free Jack. <laughs> the trailer that asks you, I love it, or... Do I? <laughs> I think Free Jack should be in the conversation more about the progression of sci-fi movies and what they were trying to do and what they were trying to say, but that doesn't mean it's a good film. I think it's one of those films that it had some tools that it could have used a lot better. Other movies it did use them a little bit better, but I think it's still mm -hmm. worth a mention from time to time. No, it's interesting. Actually, on Tubi, there were a whole just truckload of, of B sci-fi movies from that era that I'm sure most of them were straight to video, but that were to the end of that. If you like this, you'll like this, that I was very curious. Will I ever watch them? Uh, I still drink sometimes, <laughs> I guess. So, uh, there's a possibility. These, these kind of movies, free Jack, if you have the opportunity, it is a perfect movie to throw on with some friends and a few drinks or a few, uh, other inebriates and enjoy <laughs> for sure. And that's what I love about this era of sci-fi is they're bad. Most of them are really bad, but this used to be my Saturday afternoons uh, when Miss Amy Bogard was still working on Saturdays. I would have the whole afternoon mm -hmm. to watch this garbage. I would never ask her to watch with me. I love her too much. <laughs> I wouldn't put her through that. And I'd watch the core, uh, <laughs> like the 2004. <laughs> Man, that was a dumbass era of movies. Oh, so bad. But there's something kind of special about how unfortunately bad they are. Uh -huh. And they're still happening. There's still the geostorms and hurricane heists out there that are just as bad. It's just that their budgets are bigger for some what reason. Was the one because from last year, Moonfall? Moonfall is the biggest pile of hot fucking garbage. <laughs> and I'm also like weirdly into it at the same time. Like th th I'm angered by the fact that it got so much money to be made. That was a hundred million dollar movie. <laughs> uh, this is a sci-fi channel movie. This isn't a, this shouldn't be a real, like a real, real movie with a hundred million dollar yeah, budget. You have budget. a legacy. You can make poop monster movies <sighs> until the cows come home. That's right. That was Roland Emmerich, wasn't uh -huh. it? Uh-huh. That's why. Yeah. Oh God. But, watched moon uh, fall more than once i think three times now i've seen it so wow H how does that work uh, once out of morbid curiosity the other time because i kept talking about it man that you need to do a pop cultist about your uh, infatuation <laughs> with moonfall uh, amy jokes that it's my favorite movie because then <laughs> we watched it together and she's like wow this is real <laughs> this is worse than you even described <laughs> and then i forget i maybe watched it with another friend at some point but yeah it's just it's 
so bad that I just, I can't wrap my brain around the fact that it actually exists. Like this is something that like is in the world that was made. People signed on like actors were in this movie and acted in it. And Halle Berry had to pay for houses and cars too, I guess. There was a special effects person whose marriage fell apart because they were working so many long hours on the special effects for this garbage fucking movie. And so they're like, signing the divorce papers the weekend that this movie comes out and they see it in the theater like this this is what i sacrificed my marriage for is moonfall this is this is what i think about when watching moonfall because it's definitely not the plot thanks so much everyone for listening to this episode of smack my pitch up and uh tondi thank you so much for begrudgingly going through this mick jagger movie the future of thank you mate (laughs) yeah Crikey. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, repost our stuff on social media, please. Please share our stuff. That's the best way for us to get around to new ears is for you to repost the stuff from our social media. And we will find you next time for another episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I'm Mike the Hobbit. I'm Tondi. And you just got uh, the pitch smacked out of you from the future. Yeah, a little, little pitch and a swing. Oh, and a miss. Big miss. <laughs> GUIPodcast.com. <laughs>